ready? I'm ready. Hey, everybody. Is that a test? Or no, we're, we're here, man. We're just rolling. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Contextualize. We're finally back. We're f- <laughs> it's been... There, I don't know if there is a rhythm. We're just... <laughs> no, no. There's just lots of zeal whenever we have it. That's... There you go. That's true. Oh, man. Well, um... Yeah, it's good. We are in Second Corinthians, and today we're going to be looking at chapter three. Yeah, you had a great time with Pastor Bill last time. I guess it was early last week, I think, where we walked and talked through chapter two, the very latter part of it. And so, I mean, it's it's going to pick up steam as far as Paul's arguments or maybe just his commentary. It's going to get more broad, and um, in some regards. Less isolated about an incident or mm. that letter he wrote. It's going to be more into just the beauty of the gospel, which yeah. we kind of referenced last time. Yeah. So we're, we're really there. It's yeah. amazing. This is a great chapter. Yeah. Well, um, I don't know, before we get in, anything on your mind? To, I don't have anything. No, I, I was just thinking through, even since the last time you and I did a podcast, we did have a vision night. Yep. We did have testimonies be shared. We've had a lot of the things that we've been working on um, yep. come to fruition, and I'm grateful. You can, I don't know how your leadership life is, but for me, you gear up, you gear up, you gear up, and then yeah. also you're like, okay, I haven't looked past those things. <laughs> and you get past it, and you're like, what now? Yeah, what? yeah. <laughs> that's right. And we're in a good place like that. Yeah. So we were gearing up our community yeah. groups. We were gearing up. Um, so the, the, the women's yeah. fall gathering for me was last weekend, right. and I had a blast. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a little bit more just a normal rhythm that we yeah. have to remember yeah. or find. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's very true. Um, well, um, as we look at this, uh, just as I was reading it beforehand, um, there's two words. I'm sure we'll, we'll get into this, but just to throw this out there at the beginning, two of the words that Paul repeats in this chapter, and I think are, are important, and we'll I'm sure we'll come up in our conversation. One is sufficiency, and the other is glory. Um, mm. And so the sufficiency really there in the, the front half of this chapter and glory really in the back half. Um, and the, the, the idea of being sufficient goes back in uh, chapter 2, verse 16, um, where and he's talking about the proclamation of the gospel, preaching of Christ. But he says, who is sufficient for these things? And so, I don't know, why don't, why don't you just kind of get us in a little bit of what where is Paul at? What does he mean as he begins to talk about this idea of sufficiency as a minister? Right. He's beautifully conveyed that the aroma of Jesus is going to accomplish something. Yeah. The scent right. will do something in right. the nose of the the smeller. I yep. mean, to just use that, yeah. that seems to be what he's talking about. Right. He's not talking about hearing or anything. And it's either a fragrance of life or it's a fragrance of death. And we're privileged. He's privileged to be a an apostle, a preacher, a declarer of the good news of Jesus, but he essentially says, I'm not I'm not sufficient to be the one delivering such an aroma mm-hmm. on my own accord. Mm-hmm. Um, we, and we don't want to peddle the Word of God and, and try to make it smell good to people who are offended by it. Yeah. Like, we're not going to try to be smooth and be swindlers about uh-huh. it. But he also is saying, I don't deserve to be the one that's delivering that yeah. aroma either. And so... Interestingly, as we turn from chapter 2 to chapter 3, I'm realizing right now that two of the verses I have leaned into so often over the last maybe 5, 10 years 
about ministry are right here in chapter three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I've heard you mention this. Before. Yeah, they just yeah. come out. They just yep. kind of ooze out. And one is about sufficiency. The other one's at the very end. And it's about glory. Yeah. So, yeah. So what's the verse about sufficiency that's uh, specifically? Verse four and five. Okay. I, so Paul is going to, he's got this little interlude at the beginning of chapter three where basically he's going to say, I'm not trying to commend myself. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what I'm saying here when I convey the responsibility, the authority, the role that I have been given. But then he starts talking about his confidence that he has through Christ toward God, not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who's made us competent. Mm-hmm. To be ministers of a new covenant, not of letter, but of spirit. Yeah. And so he's essentially saying, my competence, my sufficiency for the task at hand is not something that originated inside of me. Yeah. Or even something that I can point to and say, look what I did. This is why you should listen to me. Right. He dismisses that completely right. from his own resume. Yeah. And he just leans into Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and if we look at verse 3, um, well, I really, yeah, the, the first three verses, right? He talks about in, in verse 2 that um, really the Corinthians themselves are Paul's letter of recommendation, right? They're, they're, they're a letter from Christ, delivered by Paul and the others. Uh, and then in verse 3 it says, Written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And uh, just to see how he he emphasizes the role of the Spirit in his ministry. Right. So if we kind of simplify it, he's saying, I'm not trying to commend myself, but if I were, you know, I'd put out a letter of recommendation to say, look, I am who I say yeah. I am. And then he goes, but wait. You, you are that are the letter of recommendation, yeah. except it's because of what the Spirit's done in your heart that makes the ministry that I do justifiably sincere yeah. and yeah. real. Yeah, And I didn't do that. Right. God did that. So therefore, my sufficiency and what I'm called to do, it has nothing to do. It, it's Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. it's Jesus in you that makes you that letter of recommendation. It's yeah. A, we should start talking this way. That'd be awesome. What would that look like? You know, you mean, somebody, somebody, wants, that, somebody yeah. wants a job, and instead of asking, like, for a letter of recommendation to be yeah. filled out by a senior leader that knows them, yeah. it'd be like, I brought my 11-year-old. <laughs> he is my letter of recommendation. You can see the Just work. Look at, right. yeah, and, or I brought a friend who <laughs> yeah. I've been discipling, and like, this person is my letter. Yeah, yeah. I'm who I say I am because they are experiencing what they're experiencing, but since it's not about me, then it's about the message we hold in, 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 in unity together. Right. And that message is Christ. Yeah. It's just, it is powerful. Yeah. And and so in, in Paul's context here, right, like a lot of, and the reason he's writing this is, um, I don't know if I want to use the word defend, but it's about his apostleship and his his ministry, right? It's, it's, it's verifying or, right, that he's, I guess, defending his apostleship and his ministry. And um, that that's his context. If we jump, you know, just thinking of, of our context and, for your work uh, in, in preaching, teaching as a minister of the gospel, how, I don't know, how have you thought about, and you've said this is a verse that you've leaned into for years, yeah. but what, as you think about sufficiency and that every week you're preaching. So you know, maybe just, the easier way to talk about it briefly is the, the false indicators uh-huh. that God's using a work, right? And so we know what they can be. Uh, look, the church has numbers that are growing. Or look, there's an excitement. and there's yeah. a, I, People have a feeling yeah. when they are interacting with our ministry. Or look, there's more people in it now than there used to be. Or 
There's all sorts of false indicators. Now, God does right. use numbers as an indicator of his church's growth. And right. that, that, that's in the book of Acts and other places. But Paul doesn't point to, to that at all. He essentially says, God's work in the life of those I've poured my life into through Jesus is the only evidence that I would point to yeah. to say, please trust me. Yeah that I'm preaching Christ because I don't have power to change you, but you're being changed because yeah. Christ is the one I'm preaching and Christ is changing you. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty fascinating um, thing. And then, and then about the sufficiency. So if I would have that mindset of Lord, if you're going to mature the people that you've asked me to serve and you're going to be working in my heart to sanctify me, like, is that enough? Is that, is mm-hmm. that those little visible glimpses, mm-hmm. what, even if the ministry stays small right. or doesn't have some of the other strengths we want to see, but if we see this, yeah, Paul's saying, it's not you doing it, and you've seen enough to evidence that God's at work. And so the other thing that comes to my mind, AJ, about just as a minister, how do you think through this? In verse 6, the verb tense is aorist tense in the Greek, which means it's past tense, completed action, right? So when he talks about our sufficiency comes from God, Mm -hmm. who has made us competent? He's Mm -hmm. not... He's referring to God's single act Yeah. when he called him, I believe, to yeah. make him competent for the things God was going to reveal in the future. Yeah. One of those things being Paul going to Corinth. Yeah. But God did the, the making of his competence yeah. past tense. Because it's a done deal. It's a done deal. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's good. Pretty amazing. Yeah. And one thing that makes me think of is, um, you know, when it comes to... Right, even the other word he used in verse four, such as the confidence, right? So, sufficiency, uh, confidence, competence—all these things are wrapped up in the same idea. And um, I think there's there's at least two ways we can get off course with that, right? There's one is is obvious of, of pride and, and this self-focused. I've got this. I'm I'm able to do this because of me, you know, like that kind of idea, uh, which is obviously contrary to what Paul's saying. But I think the other way that we can get off is um, in verse six. He very clearly says that God, yes. right, has made us sufficient. Like God has made us competent. He's He's done this in us. And if we fail to cling to that reality that God has done it, it may look like humility or lack of confidence, that kind of thing. But it's in in some ways, it's a lack of trusting what God has done. Yeah, and He's allowing the ambig- ambiguity of a, a life by the spirit even the the aroma language he's used it's uh it's it's subjective in the sense of it's not something that is scripted uh-huh. as uh-huh. verse six saying this has all happened not of the letter but of the spirit yeah, yeah. So there's a living breathing reality to growing in christ right because the letter kills but the spirit gives life and i think what he's saying is it's not like i look at the, my performance according to the letter of the law saying check 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 you should listen to me because I once was a guy who didn't keep this law. Now look how I'm keeping it now. Uh-huh. And this keeping of the law is my letter of recommend. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit has applied the law of God on my heart, but the law of God I can't fully keep it. So therefore the Spirit points me to Jesus, and now I'm reminded of the sufficiency that and the completion, the confidence that I can have because yeah. of that. Yeah. And then he does go into that differentiation between the nature of the law and the nature of the spirit. Yeah. And that's when we kind of transitions into the glory component of things. Yeah. Yeah. So really starting at verse seven, end of six, but 
7 to the end, there's this Old Covenant, New Covenant contrast and, and ministry, and it brings up glory. And it's he, he hints at it at least uh, back in verse 3 when he talks about um, them being, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the Spirit's work written on human hearts versus written on tablets of stone. I mean, that, that's a that's an illusion back to the Ten Commandments. And so he begins to bring in that contrast there with the sufficiency, but now in the back half, he really does get into that. And just as I was reading this before, um, you know, we, we've said before, always, you know, note what's surprising. Mm-hmm. And uh, i just tell you, for him to say, use the phrase, the ministry of death in verse 7, and then in verse 9, the ministry of condemnation. I'm like, whoa, like, that's bold, Paul. Like that's, that's yeah, stark. and I think it's a it's probably a description that we we need to let it stay as uncomfortable as it is. Um, is the law replaced in the era or in the this time? Now. Yeah, in now in, in post Christ, post Christ when the Spirit had been yeah. poured out, is the law null? Is it void? Is it empty? Is it purposeless? Right. The rest of the New Testament would say no. Paul himself would say no. Yeah. He'd say yeah. the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. Yeah. That's Galatians, right? right? He would say that the law doesn't actually ever go away. Yeah. We're going to be held accountable yeah. to the law. Yeah. It's just that the Spirit convinces us that Jesus fulfilled the law for us, yeah. both on the curse side of what he endured on the cross and also the righteousness side by which we will be, in some regards, credited with all of his keeping of right. the law. And so what Paul is saying is not that God suddenly decided the law is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's that the law, if the law is the end in and of itself, all mm-hmm. it can do is condemn us. Yeah, yeah. The law can't reward you, right? Or or or, um, or bless you. Well, keeping the law will be a but better. It, well, one of the things that stands out what he says is um, again in verse seven he says carved in letters on stone. So going back to that same idea, so there's there's a contrast between what's external and written on stone and then what the spirit does within the heart. That's right. Um, And even, I mean, if we go back to the Old Testament, I mean, just go read Deuteronomy, for instance, or Ezekiel with the New New Covenant um, prophecies, like the need for a renewed heart, the need for a circumcised heart is all over it. And so it's, it's there, but... And and what does that heart do? The law doesn't do that work. Right. What does that heart do though? The heart values the law. It values God's purity, God's uh-huh. holiness, and the set right. apartness. Yeah. So that's what yeah. happens when he writes it on our heart, not on a right. tablet. But in and of itself, the law has no power to create that just because I right. I hold the law right. in a high esteem, as I should, sure. and as Israelites should right. from Sinai following, right? Um, but the ministry of righteousness, he says, is ultimately, you know, just like you compared ministry of death, ministry of condemnation, his alternative words here are ministry of the Spirit uh-huh. and ministry of righteousness. Right. So what the Spirit does is gives us something positive as opposed to just exposing that for, about our hearts, which is negative, yeah. right? Um, and then he's going to link it all to the theme of glory. Yeah. And I think that's a powerful thing. What he's saying is when God gave the law that was written on stone, how much glory did God reveal to the Israelites? I mean, Moses couldn't even gaze. Right. Not just at his face. The people couldn't gaze at Moses' face yeah. when it reflected yeah. the glory of God, yeah. right? How much greater is the glory that's come to us in Jesus, the glory that is the gospel, that is the aroma Paul's been describing, that is yeah. the thing the Spirit exposes us to, to yeah. change us. And, you know, that's an interesting thought because, um, you know, especially if you read 
what he's referring to here, Moses coming down from Sinai, or thinking about the times when you know they build the temple and then the glory of the Lord fills the temple, or them being led in the wilderness by uh, God's glory in form of smoke and fire. Like they're all very, um, they're all those things are very vivid. Um, and so, but but what he's saying here is that the glory that's been revealed now is actually more glorious. Even though we, I don't know, I think it can be tempting to look back at those things and think that they're more. There was the greater time. You know, yeah, yeah like there's, it's it's more fireworks then. And it's like, well, no, it's actually more glorious now. Because Christ has come and the Spirit is, is, is at work. So he brings in the, the Old Testament reality that in order to look even at Moses, in order to understand the glory of the law that God gave a veil had to mm-hmm. separate God's people from the sight of it and he says those whose hearts reject God's law it's still there the veil remains there and only through Christ is the veil taken away yeah so in other words to a new testament believer who understands that Jesus is the righteous one who kept the law the holy spirit applies the law to our hearts it doesn't stay external on a tablet some code mm-hmm. it's actually a longing of a heart that wants to obey and honor God, but also finds Christ to be the substitutionary one by which we can be received by God. That's when the veil's removed, mm-hmm. and that's when Paul just bursts into this thought of that's the person that knows freedom. Yeah, yeah. And that's, a, that's in verse 17. Right. So the Spirit of the Lord is the one by which that happens. I didn't do that. Yeah. And that's where there's freedom. And so we all, with unveiled face, we behold the glory of the Lord we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this comes, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I mean, that's the other favorite verse I reference a lot of just how do we believe transformation happens? Mm-hmm. It's day by day, as he'll say later in the in this letter, but it's also one degree of glory to another. Yeah. Whose glory? Christ. Yeah. And who kept the perfect law. Yeah. And we are being changed internally by the gospel, through the Spirit, just one little degree at a time to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And that is so different yeah. than a law that remains external to us and can't change us from one degree of glory to another. It can convict us mm-hmm. and condemn yeah. us, right? but it can't change us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's, we're, we're being renewed, right? And that's where at the end of chapter four, right? He's going to talk about it as being renewed day by day. And mm-hmm. I think that's, I mean, that's exactly what he's saying here. We're renewed. And, and I've all, the thing in verse 18 that's stuck out to me is that um, this transformation happens as we behold the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Like the more clearly, powerfully, vividly, gloriously, weightily we see Jesus. Like he, he's using that knowing of him that seeing of him to change us we use the word transformed a lot in the church and if someone says well what are you transforming into i mean here's a here's a biblical answer from the modest understanding of the glory of god in christ that i have to an increased knowledge of that which is actually transforming me to look like that so Uh therefore i'm being transformed from glory to To glory. glory Yeah. Every moment. Yeah. And when we behold his face in full, everything will be changed. And it will totally be changed. And there will be nothing but glory, which is what Jesus prays for in John 17. Father, yeah. I want them to know the glory yeah. that I've known with you from eternity. Yeah. And right now, sin has obstructed that glory. Yeah. 
At Sinai, they saw glimpses of it, but it came in the form of a code of law, and it was terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. And in Christ now, it comes in the form of righteousness and yeah. freedom. Yeah. So. Well, let me maybe close with this question. Um, you may have more after this. I don't know. But just with what he's saying here, I mean, what, what would be the beginnings of, of a proper response to this? Like what, as we think about that reality of being transformed from one glory to, to another and that the veil has been removed and we've, we see Christ like that's all the work of the spirit and what he's doing I don't know how, how do we begin to respond to this rightly I'm trying to think of a situation in which like this is a verse that's been shared at yeah, least in my life be, or, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's often in sharing with someone who's so discouraged that the gospel's not enough so discouraged like I'll never know the change I want to know um, I can't keep the law the way I should keep it and and right here there's no apathy at the end of chapter 3 right because it's all about glory and freedom yeah. so there's an excitement there's an edge but because it's just moment by moment one little degree at a time then what it does speak into for me is is life's journey when we just feel like the struggle of keeping God's law fully or the struggle of living in a righteous world and knowing that benefit which we long for it is not going to just suddenly just be a landslide that crashes into our life mm-hmm. and suddenly I mean unless Jesus returns and makes mm-hmm. all things new but yeah. prior to that moment it's just incremental yeah. yeah and so I think just to not be discouraged when it's incremental yeah, yeah. Um, even to ne- even if we don't see it with our eyes yeah when we walk through sundry times in which we're just disheartened by what we see in the world around us or by what we're experiencing coming out of us how can it be that like even in that moment I'm being transformed if I'm repentant and if I look to Jesus not if I look to, to my performance in the law and make it about my letter of keeping yeah. the law yeah. but if the Holy Spirit in me is going to continue to say yes but you have kept the law in God's sight through Jesus Yeah. you've already had the price of breaking the law be paid by Jesus yeah stare into that live with repentance and faith and quite frankly in the middle of it being dark and seemingly impossible that shift in perspective is the glory transformation (laughs) yeah so i don't know i just feel like it's there's two things in this chapter none of us can produce on our own or we would think the sufficiency was inside of ourselves Uh i'm competent enough i got this yeah no it's okay to say i feel incompetent i don't got this i don't feel sufficient and then to say, but where does it come from? Yeah. And if I believe it comes from where the Bible says it comes from, there's yeah. an incremental increase in transformation in my life. Yeah. In your life. Yeah. And you know, just linking those two ideas, I had this thought as you were talking that when we really see at the end of this chapter that the uh, what this gospel ministry does, like what well, what's the fruit of this? Well, it's it's the transformation from one degree of glory to another. And when I consider that, I'm like, there's no way I'm competent for that. Correct. <laughs> like, you know, I can do this. I should or not that be thing, converting. Like, I can't do that. Yeah. You yeah. know, into glory. Like, like only God's Spirit can do that. And it's such a, a helpful reminder in that of just seeing, like, if that's the real goal of ministry, and whether that's personal or you know, church. Well, you almost have the Bible telling us, be comforted that there's going to be a little bit more every day. Yeah. If you are God's. And you're held in Christ, and he won't let anyone snatch you out of his hand. Then every single day, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. 
How is he going to work through your life, though? By convincing your heart of the need for Christ. The yeah. only way to do that is if the letter of the law is written on the heart, mm-hmm. not outside of the mm-hmm. heart. And so I'm a lawbreaker yeah. who needs, who deserves justice, yeah. who had justice be laid on Jesus, who needs to then respond with gratitude at that unconditional mercy and grace, and that's going to be an inherent transformation of glory. So yeah. it's pretty basic what Paul's saying, but it's also seismic in there is no believer who gets to say, yeah, but... I'm not being changed. No, that means that you think you're the one who has to be sufficient and competent mm. to create the change. If you are yeah. in Christ and you go back to Christ, then he he says, and it's a promise. Yeah. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Yeah. No one's exempt from that. And that's probably something the church needs to hear right now too. Is That's good. If my sin gets exposed to me, I'm being transformed. Yeah. If X, Y, Z happens circumstantially and I cling to God's sovereign promises and feel like he's guaranteed it because of the conquering of death by Jesus, I'm being transformed. Yeah. So. It's good. It's great. It's a great chapter. Have confidence. Yeah. And notice in verse four, I'll just close up with this. Paul talks about we have this confidence through Christ toward God. I know a lot of people who want to have confidence through Christ toward the mirror in the morning. Mm. Toward myself. Yeah. Because yeah. what I really want is to feel confident. Yeah. And Paul says, no. Yeah. Our confidence is through Jesus toward God. Toward God. Man. Well, um, may that be an encouragement. Yeah. Hope to see you on the Lord's Day. It'll be a special Sunday. 